Well, welcome back, and uh, great to be in this series talking about fear. We're going to wrap it up next week, and I'm excited about that. We learned that, you know, if you want to overcome your fear, one of the things you need to do is confront the lies. That was two weeks ago. So there's lots of things that we, we believe sometimes in the what-ifs, and often they never happen. And then last week, we, we need to trust God with our fears and rely on the God who is more than the what-ifs that might be. And so this week, though, it's going to be a lot more practical way to overcome our fears. And uh, we're jumping into a story in Matthew chapter 14, where uh, Jesus is uh, just fed the 5,000. So with two loaves, uh, five loaves and two fishes, fed 5,000 men plus women and children, maybe 10,000 people. And uh, so a long day for the disciples. In fact, thinking about this, how many of you have been a part of a meal that fed like 50 people. Any of you been a part of a meal? Wow, a lot of you. Most of you women, okay. <laughs> How many of you have been a part of a meal that fed over 100 people? Okay, yeah, and if you're involved in any church dinner, that kind of thing, and if you're online, you can type into the chat, you know, the number. Any of you been involved in, in being a part of fixing a meal for 1,000 people or more? Wow, oh my, yeah, I'm not surprised. It's probably a family reunion. <laughs> Laura, yeah. Um, anyway, so, yeah, so, and, and if 10,000 people, like feeding that many, I mean, afterward, 12 baskets of leftovers, this was a long, hard day. And so Jesus made the disciples get into boat afterward, go on ahead of them to the other side. This is the Sea of Galilee, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray and later that night, he was there alone. And the boat was already a considerable distance from land. So the Sea of Galilee is 13 miles long and seven miles wide at its widest part. And so a considerable distance from land could easily have been a mile or more. If you were smack dab in the middle, you'd be three and a half miles from land. And it was buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. One of the things I love about the Bible is that it's true and it actually happened, and the people in it are, are real people that, that actually lived. Back in 1986, they actually found, they called this the Jesus boat, but there was a tremendous drought in Israel, and the Sea of Galilee receded quite a bit, and a couple, a couple men found this boat um, under, buried in six feet of sand, and so they, they restored it. Actually, they didn't restore it. This is, this is what it looks like restored. <laughs> um, <laughs> So they, they, they unearthed it and they carbon dated it and they found that this boat dated from the time of Jesus. So 2,000 years ago. So they call it the Jesus boat, even though the chances of Jesus actually literally have been in this boat are really pretty small. Um, but this is a remake of it. And so you, there's 12 men in it right there, as, as you can see. And, and so with a boat like this, we don't know what the boat was like, but this kind of makes it come alive a little bit. It could take with good winds, maybe two hours to get across seven mile, you know, wide part of the Sea of Galilee. But it wasn't two hours, it was six to eight hours because they left before or at nightfall, they're out there all night, it's early morning and they're, they're just, they're still a long ways from land. And so it says shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. This is a story about fear. Okay, we're talking about fear. And so this is a story about fear. And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. I, 
This seems to happen, right? If you're having a bad week or bad day, do good things happen or do more bad things happen? More bad things. Why? I don't know why, but bad things tend to always happen in clumps, right? And so they've had an exhausting day. They've been awake now for maybe 24 hours. It's almost dawn. They were probably up just before dawn. And, and they've been rowing for six to eight hours to get across this lake, and it is just not working. And so it's not a good day. And now it's haunted. You know, it's night, and there's some apparition walking toward them, and, and they're terrified. And it says, when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. Here's the crazy thing. Jesus did this to his disciples on purpose. Right, this was not, uh, you, you know, actually it's, to me it sounds like an elaborate prank, right? <laughs> like, oh, I got you guys, man. You didn't know it was me, it's funny. It wasn't, a, it, it was actually on purpose to teach them a lesson. And, and, and we need to understand that, that the trials you're in now, maybe it's a financial trial, and then on top of that, you found out someone you love is really sick and in the hospital, and on top of that, your child is crying in church. And then, and then on top of that, you know, there's just more and more things going wrong and it's all piling up and you're like, oh God. And you think, man, Satan's really at work. Is it Satan? Because whose plan was this? This was Jesus' plan. He knew the winds were gonna be against them. He knew they wouldn't get very far out in the lake and they'd be out in the middle of the lake you know, when it approached dawn, he knew they'd be terrified when they saw him. And this is where God is in the circumstances you fear. He's in the waves, he's in the wind, he's in the darkness. Because in that place, you have to rely on him. And, and, he, and he, it forces us to do that. It says, Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it's I, don't be afraid. And then Peter's response is amazing. He says, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. How did Peter have the faith to get out of the boat? Like, yeah, it, it's kind of crazy, but one of the reasons I think he had that faith is he, he knew Jesus. This wasn't day one with Jesus and Peter, was it? This is Matthew 14. There was like Matthew chapter 4 through 13 where Peter saw Jesus doing, you know, healing lame and blind and throwing out demons and turning water into wine and just fed 5,000 men plus women and children. I mean, he'd seen Jesus come through and do so much. And that's what gave him the faith and the courage to overcome his fear. When we're talking about beating fear in this series. We're not saying that you're never going to emotionally feel fear ever again. You're never gonna be confronted with anxiety or worry or stress ever again if you implement these four easy you know, steps. Number one, they're not easy. But no, it, you will emotionally feel fear and anxiety and worry or stress. The, the, the goal is to not be controlled and ruled by it. Peter walking on water, that is not controlled or ruled by the fear of drowning. <laughs> That's just the opposite. And, and I think one of the ways and one of the reasons he could do that is because he remembered what God had done 
And that is so important for us to do. I've asked uh, Hilda Williams to come up uh, right now and she's gonna share a little bit about a lifelong struggle she's had with fear that she's had herself. And, and uh, it, it, I'm gonna kind of summarize something that happened recently with Hilda. January of this year, she um, was at, at a cooking class and having fun with her family. And uh, she has, now I'm forgetting the name of it, Angie? Angioedema. So she actually has a whole alphabet soup full of like conditions. <laughs> but one of them is angioedema, and it's an autoimmune disorder, and it basically um, it acts like a severe allergic reaction. And so this happened there, and it wasn't that she was allergic to anything, it was just this condition flaring up. Rushed to the emergency room, and, and her throat started to close, and uh, she's, she couldn't breathe. And they couldn't get uh, a, a trach down, a normal size trach down her throat, so they had to use a, a baby size one and were barely able to slip that in. And so as this is all happening, uh, Hilda has had a lifelong struggle with fear. And she told me, and she'll tell you, she wasn't afraid, even though she couldn't hardly breathe and she might be dying. And so I just wanted her to come and share, like, like, how do you go from being crippled by fear for so much of your life to being in the emergency room and being like, I'm okay. <laughs> I was actually amazed that I made it. <laughs> um, God's so good. Uh, throughout my childhood, um, I struggled with fear and actually a part of my adulthood and made a lot of decisions based on that that really didn't end up well. Ended up in divorces and just a mess. I made a mess out of my life. Um, my father was an alcoholic and he was extremely abusive to my mother, to the six children. Um, a couple examples of that. Um, my father did not want the spaghetti that was my mother was making for dinner. He decided he wanted steak, even though he barely ever worked. Um, steak was not in the house. He uh, actually turned the entire pot of hot spaghetti sauce, hot spaghetti, and all over my mother because she couldn't give him the steak that he wanted. Um, I recall another time as a child where um, my mother and he were fighting. He was very, very drunk. And he, um, my mother was in bed. My dad actually was a, quite a strong man. And he lifted up the furniture, the bedroom furniture, and threw it on top of her. And I remember hearing the sound of the mirror breaking. And I thought, oh, my mom is probably dead underneath all of this. Um, the last real big thing that I recall with him and my mom, though there were many, um, he demanded that we get a new car, even though he didn't work. Um, and my mother worked and supplied for all of our needs along with the Lord. He actually beat her. He was verbally abusive with her, and she ended up running to a neighbor's home and she, as she was running, I saw my dad pull out a gun, 
I didn't even realize we ever had a gun in the house. And he actually shot out the window at my mother. And so the fear of losing my mother, the fear of our home just being in a constant upheaval. Um, he was abusive to us children. He had a seven-layer horse whip. I didn't know that they had those. Why do you need seven layers to beat a horse? But he apparently thought he needed that for us kids. Um, one time, um, somebody had done something wrong. He lined all of us kids up, all six kids. And he just kept going up and down the line, beating us until somebody was supposed to say, who did it? Well, I being the child who really tried to be good and stay out of the reach of his abuse, I volunteered because I thought, these kids are kind of, a lot of them are used to getting whacked, and I tried to avoid it. So I said, I did it, Dad, I did it. He said, I know you didn't do it, but gave me two more, and that was the end of it. Um, my father used to make my brothers. Um, he, at one time, we had to um, replace a huge foundation in our home, and we had a massive pile of cinder blocks. My father made my brothers move all those cinder blocks from one area of the yard all the way across to the other the next day only to make them move it from there back to where they began. Just nothing but pure meanness and abuse. You know, there were times I saw him beating my brothers and my sisters, myself, that I didn't know if they were going to make it. And, and I still struggle with the thought of not being able to help them. But I was so afraid that I would get what they were getting. So I basically struggled with fear a lot. It became a part of me. I dealt with fear by trying to control my surroundings. I admit it, I am a control freak. It's still in me, poor Ed. <laughs> he, he's a very <laughs> kind and caring man, and he puts up with a lot that he shouldn't. But um, if I have order in my life, as far as my home being cleaned, things in order, it just lowers my stress level. But I came to a place where I realized that all the controlling that I could do, all the plan A, B, and backup C plans didn't work. My life was a mess. I was married twice, going through my second divorce. My, I lived in a beautiful home with my children, trying to keep that home on my salary alone, trying to take care of the children. I just had a breakdown. I fell into a state of depression. I ended up twice trying to kill myself. Once the Lord intervened and brought um, a couple so that I wouldn't jump off this cliff. Um, the second time I walked down the road in the middle of the night, it's probably around 3 a.m., couldn't sleep, and laid in the road. Poor pastor, he didn't know these stories, but I, the Lord leads you. Mm -hmm. I laid in the road just begging for a car to run me over. That's when I said, this is enough. God spoke to me there, and I cried out to him, and I said, Lord, I need you. I've made a mess of my life. I live in fear. I have this anxiety that is just overwhelming me. 
shortly thereafter I was um, received the diagnosis of my systemic lupus also the angioedema both of them have on separate occasions tried to kill me the uh, systemic lupus I ended up with vasculitis it went to my brain um, after much testing the doctor said go home get yourself a lawyer prepare a will be ready to die there was no recourse for that so this wasn't my first time that I've been in a situation where you know um, my life was in danger but after crying out to the Lord I realized that my life is totally dependent upon him mm -hmm. every day the decisions I make the change in my life asking him to forgive me helping me to forgive others um, really just focusing my life on him and not myself not on my problems not on my past but on what God could do in me and through me and he changed me from the inside out so what you you in talking to me had said that there was a point where you were at your lowest and you just said God just take over um, from then till now I'm sure it hasn't been a straight road but what would have been things that have helped you um, when you've been faced with that those emotions of fear um, I just saw God work in miraculous ways um, all six of us children have accepted the Lord mm -hmm. my mother became a Christian um, we used to go to church on the church bus and so you know the church was a safe haven for me it was a place where I heard the word where I was learning I was growing where um, I had friends um, the Lord worked in so many ways and has continued to work in so many ways in my life um, I've seen my brother who was an addict from the time he was 12 we each dealt with all this nightmare in different mm -hmm. ways he was um, abused drugs for almost 50 years he accepted the Lord amen. gave his addiction to the <laughs> Lord he's been set free for four years now mm, amen. Um, so so one of the things you're saying is that you know when you're faced with a new fear you know whether it's not being able to breathe or maybe a fear about family or something going on you just remember what God's done you had five amen. siblings in a terrible situation they've all come to know the Lord your yeah. mom and and your brother and all of these things that's that's really cool yes and the Lord in 2007 we went mm -hmm. through the flood we lost our home in the flood we lost all of our possessions uh, we had many friends and and fellow Christians praying for us the Lord provided a new home for us that's how we ended up in Montrose um, only one in 10,000 people that apply for a small business administration loan to relocate after a flood are given that and we're one of them and that wasn't wow. just by chance that was God working in that he just situation. needed to get you here he needed to get me here so I could <laughs> speak today and I know many of you have struggled with similar things in your life I'm not the only one that came from a screwed up home because most of us mm. have in different ways and have really done things that they regret and I do but you know now I live in forgiveness mm. I live in peace knowing that God is 
running my life. I don't have to run the show. Sometimes I try to still. But <laughs> That's what Ed said. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, he didn't. But. Actually, I'm sure he has at some point said that, but I, he didn't tell me. Several, we should wrap this up times. before I get in trouble. So <laughs> anyway, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Share okay, that. so um, when I woke up from being intubated mm. and on a ventilator, I had no idea, really. I remembered I was in the hospital. My hands were tied down um, with rest restraints. Obviously, I couldn't speak. I looked around the room. I did see my family. And then what I normally had done in my earlier life, the fear struck me. It was like, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. And I was panicking. It was like, Hilda, settle down. Hmm. You know, just self-talk. Settle down. Somehow you've made it these days and you've been breathing on this little tube. I didn't even know I had a little tube. I just knew I couldn't <laughs> breathe. Um, and then I started remembering what God has done for me mm. in the past, how he's answered my prayers, how he's changed my life, how mentally I was changed just through prayer and reading my Bible and going to church, through counseling, through friends speaking to me, praying over me. And if I can do it, you guys can do it. It's available for all of us. It's a choice that we make. And in that time in which fear is overcoming you, you can trust God. He is worthy of our trust. He wants us to submit our thoughts to him. The thought is the first part. I can't breathe. I was thinking I couldn't speak it. Well, yes, you can. Call the lie what it is. Hmm. That was a lie. Fear comes from Satan doesn't come from God. God says that he will be with you, that he will help you, that he will strengthen you, that he'll see you through each and every circumstance. That's the truth Amen. that you have to tell yourself in that situation. And God sought me through. He calmed my heart. He calmed my breathing. I wasn't, still wasn't happy. It wasn't <laughs> the ideal situation, but I made it through. And, and um, I wanted to bring up one other thing that I had vasculitis earlier, which also gave me that ability to know that God can get you through, that my life is in his hands, and if he takes me right now, I'm ready to go. And I hope that all of you are ready to go, because you never know when you just can't breathe. Amen. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. Let's just thank the Lord for what he's done in Hilda's life. Thank you. And, um, well, um, yeah, it's just amazing. You know, fear is like that, doesn't it? It demands our attention. And when Peter was on the, on the water, you know, the, 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 the wind is like, look at me. The waves are like, look at me, right? You know, the, her, her life is like, you can't breathe. Pay attention to this. And, and we need to do the opposite. Instead of focusing on and paying attention to what we fear, we need to focus on and look at the God who is there with us in our fears. Remember what God has done. Um, recognize what God is doing now. What was, what was God doing when, when Peter was walking on water and he got scared of the water and the waves? What was God doing? Walking on water. 
Jesus was right in front of him, walking on water. Like, and so often we can lose sight, like right, right now even, you know, we might think of what has God done in the past? I, I was thinking about that. I was reminded of um, I, my daughter Karis turned 25 yesterday. And uh, I remember when she was a little girl, we were at Roy and Melissa Brock's pool. And a lot of people there from church, it was up in New York, and, and uh, I, I often get distracted, you know, at something like that because I get in a serious conversation with someone that, that kind of draws my attention in. But, but I was not distracted at that point, and I was watching Karis in the pool. She couldn't swim yet. She was real little. And I watched some teenagers wrestling near her, bump her toward the part of the pool that, you know, goes off steeply, and I watched her go under. And it wasn't, you know, a second that I just dove in, wallet and everything, right, and just grabbed her, pulled her out. Was Karis saved because of my quick actions? No. I think Karis was saved because God didn't let me get distracted. And if God doesn't do anything good for me, anything else good for me the rest of my life, that was enough. And, and so often, you know, you might remember back at a time where you were late and behind and you were frustrated that you were late and you couldn't believe it. And then, and then there's this, the lights up ahead and there's an accident that, that happened right about the time you would have been there if you would have been on time. And you think, oh, that was lucky. <laughs> and, and over and over again, God has come through for us. If you just take the time, this is where human beings, we are naturally wired to be negative because of sin and because of Adam and Eve and eating the fruit and all that. We have this sin nature and we're naturally negative. Think, think about this. Like, wh what is the verb for, for not telling the truth? Lying, right? Verb or participle? Lying. What is the verb for telling the truth? Truthing? Truth. Honestying? There, there actually is no word in English for telling the truth. What is the word for not having enough? Lacking. What is the verb for the opposite of that? What's the opposite of lacking verb? Enoughing? <laughs> I guess having, maybe that would be it. This isn't just an English language problem. Actually, linguists say that most languages have more negative verbs than positive verbs. Why? Because we fixate. If it bleeds, it leads. That's the newspaper motto, right? Like 90% of news stories, negative. Why? Because that's somehow twisted way. That's what we want. We don't want to read a news story. Man loves his family and, you know, does good things all week. <laughs> you know, you're like, ah. You know, no, we want just the opposite. And so we're so easily drawn to the negative. And so we got we to do the opposite. And you got to work at this. This is where like a praise journal is really helpful. And by journal, it doesn't have to be this leather-bound thing with this nice little silk bookmark and, you know, whatever. You know, mine are like, three-ring binder with, you know, just regular paper, but writing down and remembering the good things that God has done for you. You know, so that in those times, like what Hilda was talking about, you know, her mind goes through, you know what? 
God took care of me in that terrible childhood. God took care of me in my first two not so good marriages and divorces and God took care of me the last time I got sick and God could she actually said she was surprised she didn't wake up in heaven <laughs> it's like this isn't heaven Ed's here no I'm just <laughs> just kidding just kidding Ed is a godly great guy all right <laughs> moving on recognize what God has done what God's doing now, and, and, if, and if you can't recognize what God's doing now, let me just draw your attention to the people gathered here. I don't know if we can put the lights up a little bit more. If you're online, maybe you can chime into the chat. But you know what, God is on the move in this church, and he's working in the lives of the people all around you. I was in, I was in Vestal last Sunday preaching there. Do you know they've had 15 people accept Christ as their Savior since January in Vestal? That is just amazing. And about a dozen of them are adults. And we have baptized here in Montrose 20 people so far this year. So, and, and you know what? I, I looked at the records. If we baptize six more people this year, it will break every record going back to 1913. More than 100 years. And God is working in such a way now that he hasn't worked in this church in over 100 years. I mean... Jesus is walking on water now, right? And so, you know, whatever your face, remember what he's done, remember what he's doing now. He saw the wind, he was afraid, beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus said, I'm not gonna save you, you worthless, faithless. No. You know, and so often in our failures, we think, oh, well, how could God love me now? Like, oh yeah, I deserve this. No, God, God is faithful and he's, Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why do you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down, and then those who were in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly you are the Son of God. This, this is what I want to key in on today. If you want to overcome your fears, the antidote to fear is worship and recognizing who God is and and. Beyond this, there's a story, and I wanted to use it for this sermon, but we used it uh, about a month ago. Second Chronicles 20, three armies are bearing down on Israel. They're gonna wipe them all out. They couldn't handle one army, let alone three. And so they go to God in prayer, and God says through one of the prophets, you don't have to worry about it. I will defeat all the armies. Uh, you just have to stand and, and watch. Watch me deliver them. And so they came up with a crazy plan. Since we don't have to fight any battle, why don't we form a parade, put the musicians in the front, and, and this wasn't because they didn't like the musicians, okay? We'll put them in the front and we'll march out to the battle with, with the men in the front unarmed, with any, you know, they got, they got trumpets, <laughs> you know, <laughs> one second. And so they come up over the rise and they look at the, where the three armies had been and they had turned on each other and killed each other and not a single man was left to fight. And, and it, was, it was the worship plan. So they were overcome with incredible fear. They were worried that they were gonna be killed or enslaved. And in response to that, they sang and worshiped and praised God. And the, the music of praising God strengthened their faith and their faith led them to praise God more. And, and it was this thing that really was amazing. And so what I wanna encourage you to do, um, if you're struggling with fear and anxiety, is to worship. God. And, and I think in physical darkness, God gives us light. 
And I believe in emotional darkness, God gives us music. Praising, singing, okay, not not just, maybe this does it, but I learned the piano a little bit. Playing the piano, no, I don't really play, but um, does not move me in the way that singing does. There is something about, so fear doesn't just attack us intellectually. It does attack us intellectually. We gotta respond to those lies fear attacks us with intellectually, but it also attacks us physically, and I think there's something about physically responding to fear. And and we're gonna give you an opportunity in just a few minutes to do this. Sing and praise God and see if your fear doesn't get a little bit less, if not evaporate completely. See, I think praising God in song is to fear what wind is to fog and what truth is to lies. It just dispels it. And it, it, it just chases it away. And, and so, I, you know, that we, we need to do this. And so two, two practical applications of this. First thing I thought was, man, I wish, I wish there was this program that we could do every week where we would like get together and remember what God has done for us and see what God is doing now, and then respond in praise to God. I wish there was a program that, that did that on a, oh yeah, that's what church is, yeah. That's what we're doing right now. It's not just some random tradition. This is actually something that helps us in fear and depression and anxiety and stress. And so here's your assignment. We're finishing up April. We got one more message of this, and then we got Mother's Day, and then we got... I think one of the best series maybe of the entire year um, about, about from Genesis 1 about um, just our culture and, and, and how, how people flourish and all that. Anyway, um, here's the challenge. The next five weeks, four weeks, all of May, come to church. I think there's five Sundays in May. Come to church every week. Every week, have, have a set time in your schedule where you remember what God has done, recognize what God is doing now, and then physically get involved in, in worshiping and praising God. And the other challenge I wanna give you is, is the uh, Christian music uh, for 30-day challenge. Okay, so you can listen, and, and I'm, I don't want you to be legalistic about this and be like, oh no, I just listened to a secular song. Ah, I, I lost the, the, the challenge. No, but just, just to make an extra effort, maybe to make your radio dial instead of the normal station you listen to, listen to a Christian station. Some of you do this already, but, but for the next month to listen to music and when you listen to it, to make it music that praises God, that focuses on God and uh, that, that gets our mind off of, of our fears um, I'm going to close with a two-minute story Admiral McRaven tells in 2014 at an amazing speech he gave at the University of Texas at Austin. And he's describing part of his SEAL team training and about the power of music and singing in particular when we're faced with despair. Oh, I have to push the button. I forgot. Or maybe they'll push the button for me because mine's not working. 
The ninth week of training is referred to as Hell Week. It is six days of no sleep, constant physical and mental harassment, and one special day at the Mud Flats. The Mud Flats are an area between San Diego and Tijuana where the water runs off and creates the Tijuana Sloughs, a swampy patch of terrain where the mud will engulf you. It is on Wednesday of Hell Week that you paddle down in the mud flats and spend the next 15 hours trying to survive this freezing cold, the howling wind, and the incessant pressure to quit from the instructors. As the sun began to set that Wednesday evening, my training class, having committed some egregious infraction of the rules, was ordered into the mud. The mud consumed each man till there was nothing visible but our heads. The instructors told us we could leave the mud if only five men would quit. Only five men, just five men, and we could get out of the oppressive cold. Looking around the mud flat, it was apparent that some students were about to give up. It was still over eight hours till the sun came up, eight more hours of bone-chilling cold. The chattering teeth and the shivering moans of the trainees were so loud, it was hard to hear anything. And then one voice began to echo through the night. One voice raised in song. The song was terribly out of tune, but sung with great enthusiasm. One voice became two, and two became three, and before long, everyone in the class was singing. The instructors threatened us with more time in the mud if we kept up the singing, but the singing persisted, and somehow the mud seemed a little warmer, and the wind a little tamer, and the dawn not so far away. If I have learned anything in my time traveling the world, it is the power of hope, the power of one person, a Washington, a Lincoln, King, Mandela, and even a young girl from Pakistan, Malala. One person can change the world by giving people hope. So if you want to change the world, start singing when you're up to your neck in mud. That's worth repeating. If you want to change the world, start singing when you're up to your neck in mud. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to praise you when the waves threaten to drown us, to sing when the wind is deafening, to worship when we're neck deep in the mud. God, I thank you that you are in our fears. You're in the storm, and you can help us walk on it and not drown under it. God, I just ask that you'd save us and help us, that you'd see us. God, that you'd see Jack Crary in the ICU today with this mysterious illness. God, that you'd be there with him and that you'd be with us, and most of all, help us to see you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.